Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Today's guest is the author of Atomic Habits, James Clear. Now, if you've not read Atomic Habits, it's one of those books that once you've read, you start to think about how those ideas can change your reality. Now, furthermore, once you've read the book and decide you like his direct and logical style, you might even give him a follow on Twitter and realize that he's one of the most interesting people to follow. Now, of course, James is not the father of thinking about habits at all, but having built up a newsletter around the topic for years before launching his best-selling book, he's simply a master of demonstrating what best practice looks like and how that impact can impact your future, which above anything else makes him a person you want to have this conversation with. So it's my pleasure to do that right now and fill your ears for the immediate future with all you need to know about habits and how they can help you be the best version of yourself. So James, welcome to the show. Hi, great to talk to you. For context uh, to the audience, can we just do a quick summary of your story to date for some people that haven't um, yet come into contact with you? So why you are the habits guy and what gives you the insights that get you to the point of owning such a moniker? So the quick summary is I came into habits as a practitioner long before uh, I started writing or thinking about it. Most of my like intentional exposure to habits was through athletics. So I played baseball uh, for a long time, all the way through college um, and a variety of other sports growing up. I talk more about that in the book, but the short summary is that uh, I learned a lot about habits and small behaviors and practicing things and so on uh, through that. A couple years after I was done with my formal education, I started my own business and began exploring and kind of writing about habits more. And that was when I came across the research and the science about it. I wrote two articles a week for the first three years. Um, And so over the course of those 150 articles or so, I learned a lot about how habits work and how to explain them better and how to maybe describe some of the concepts in a way that was useful. And through writing about it every week, um, I sort of developed more of an expertise around it. And my audience grew and I eventually uh, used some of those ideas and the audience that I had there to write Atomic Habits, which is the, I would say at this point, the main thing I'm known for. The book came out in October of 2018. And for me, the most gratifying thing is that the ideas are useful. Uh, You know, the best thing is to see people using them to build better habits in their own life or to break habits that they've kind of been struggling with for a while. And so that's kind of my main thing is I you know, I'm not the smartest person. I'm not the fastest person. I'm not the first person to talk about this stuff, but I want to do it in a way that's useful. And so whether it was um, through the articles or through the book, uh, I'm just trying to share ideas that that people can actually use and, and make actionable in daily life and work. I'd love to get some of your thoughts on um, how the the concept of our daily habits probably has changed massively from pre-COVID, of course, the magic word, uh, to post, right? So most people's habits are built around wake up at a certain time, go into the office, et cetera, et cetera, go on some kind of autopilot. And now more and more working from home, whether they like it or not, and different habits coming up and different systems having to be created. I'd love to get some of your thoughts 
about how to optimize that system change for people. So some people will have already tried to start, but some people might not have. So some insights and advice from you would be wonderful. Well, you know, there are a couple different ways to define what a habit is. Um, sometimes people define it as, oh, it's a behavior that's automatic or mindless, uh, you know, something you do like automatically, like brushing your teeth or tying your shoes. But there's another definition, which I like, which I think applies to the question you just asked, which is that um, a habit is a behavior that's tied to a particular context. And what you start to realize is that you cannot have a behavior outside of an environment. They all happen within a certain context. So you're your couch might be the environment where your habit of watching Netflix happens at 7 p.m. And what you find from this, and this is how it relates to the pandemic, anytime the environment changes in a big way, behavior changes in a big way. And we all have experienced that this year with, um, you know, working from home more frequently or, you know, being on lockdown or not being allowed to go into certain places or having to do things in different ways. As the environment has changed, your behavior has shifted. So suddenly, you know, your kitchen table is now your office, or it used to be that the pantry was miles away from you when you were at work, but now it's right around the corner and you can snack all day long. I mean, my bedroom is my office. This is a very special, like these recordings, I live for these because I'm allowed in the living room. It's great. <laughs> I think the question to ask yourself is, what is the environment that I'm spending time in? What is that optimized for? Because what you often find is that, you know, you're kind of inheriting these environments that were previously for different uses. And so they're not optimized for the behaviors that you want to occur. And maybe you can overpower your environment in the short run, but in the long run, the environment almost always wins. And so you want to optimize, prime your environment so that the good habit is the path of least resistance. So a couple examples of how I've done that this year. I knew I was going to be spending more time at home during the pandemic, and I thought, well, I'd like to use at least some of that time productively, so I want to read more. So I bought some books off my reading list. I've got, you know, four or five next to me on the desk here. I have a couple on the coffee table in the living room. I have a couple next to my bed. I'm sort of sprinkling books around the environment to make it really easy for me to pick one up and read. I also took the apps that are on the home screen of my phone. I moved them to the second screen and took Audible and put it in the home bar. So it was the first thing that I would see when I would open up my phone. So again, trying to prime the environment to make the good habit easy. If you look around, this also impacts your bad habits or things that, you know, let's just say behaviors people want to reduce. A lot of people feel like, oh, I'm watching too much TV. But walk into any living room. Where do all the couches and chairs face? You know, it's like, what is that room designed to get you to do? And so this same line of thinking can be applied for reducing bad habits or building good ones. But I think the punchline is you want to make your good habits obvious. You want them to be the first thing you see. You want to make them a very visible and available. You want to make your bad habits invisible. You want to hide them. This is why you want to unsubscribe from emails. Or if you're trying to not spend money on electronics, don't follow the latest YouTubers who review that stuff or unboxing videos or whatever. It's why biting your nails is the hardest habit uh, to crack, they say, which I did um, after 31 years, but it's impossible because it's in your face. <laughs> Unless you're going to cut your hands off, you you have a very hard challenge. That's not how I did it, I'm pleased to say. And you also want to uh, make it difficult for bad habits. You want to increase the number of steps, you know, so increase friction and for bad habits, reduce friction. The other thing that came up a lot is the importance of the social environment. And this is one topic that since the book has come out, I think is even more important than I realized when I wrote it. So many habits are shaped by the social environment that we're in. And we all are part of multiple tribes. Some of them are large, some of them are small, like 
what it means to be a neighbor on your street, what it means to be a member of the local CrossFit gym or to volunteer at the local elementary school. And all of those habits, large and small, they are sorry, all of those tribes, large and small, have a set of shared habits, a set of shared expectations for how to act in that environment. And those social norms really influence the choices that we make. You know, like um, we're on this call right now, we're doing this interview. I could be wearing a bathing suit right now, but I'm not, right? That would be weird. Or uh, let's say you move into a new neighborhood and you walk outside on Tuesday night, you see your neighbors mowing their lawn and you're like, oh, I need to mow the grass. Well, partially you want to do that because it feels good to have a clean lawn, but mostly you want to do it because you don't want to be judged by the other people in the neighborhood for having the, the dirty lawn or being the unkempt, uh, sloppy one in the neighborhood. And that social expectation will get you to stick to that habit for as long as you live in the house for the next 30 years. We wish we had that level of consistency with our other habits. So the punchline, if I'm going to make that part practical, is you want to join groups to join tribes where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. Because if it's normal in that group, it will be attractive and natural for you to stick to it. It's going to be a signal to the people around you, hey, they get it, they belong, they're part of us. And um, belonging is one of the deepest needs that we all have. You know, like if you have to choose between, I don't have habits that I really love, but I get to belong, I get to fit in, or I have the habits that I want, but I'm cast out, I'm, I'm an outsider. Most people will choose belonging over loneliness. The desire to belong will often overpower the desire to improve. So you wanna make sure you get that social environment right. What are your three, two, one most powerful habits that you've personally integrated into your life? So I think the things that have made the biggest difference for me, I don't think I would still be an entrepreneur if I hadn't worked out consistently. I've been an entrepreneur for as of a couple of weeks ago, 10 years. And I don't know that I would have made it through that decade in the kind of the emotional roller coaster that's associated with starting a business uh, without that. So that's been a big one. Reading is a huge one because that's sort of reading in a broad sense. Like it's not just books. It's also what I'm reading on Twitter. It's also what I'm reading through online articles and so on. And all of that is essentially crafting your information flow. And pretty much every thought that you have is downstream from what you consume. So creating great information flows, I think, is a really powerful skill, a really important thing. I've spent a lot of time thinking about that and trying to improve that. And then the third one, which is kind of obvious for someone who's an author, but I do think it applies to people who don't write for their job, is writing publicly. Sharing your ideas publicly, I think, is probably the single best networking strategy. When you share your ideas publicly, like-minded people find you. Your work becomes like a magnet. And it's much more effective than all the other networking strategies you usually hear about, like networking cocktails and going to conferences and uh, cold emails and stuff like that. Nothing will bring as much inbound, interesting, like-minded people as sharing work publicly. So those are the three that I feel like have made some of the biggest difference for me. What bad habits have been hardest to break for you and do you still succumb to them? And what is your vice? Going to bed at a reasonable hour is one that I struggled with. I struggled with it a lot when I was writing Atomic Habits. What is a reasonable hour to you? Well, I have this rule for myself where I don't cheat myself on sleep. So I, I definitely get, I try to get like at least eight hours every night. But I get this second wind around like, say, 9 p.m. where I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just answer a few emails or maybe I'll just work for a little bit. And of course, it's never just for a little bit, right? You turn around, it's like midnight or 1 a.m. 
And if I'm going to sleep for eight hours and I go to bed at one, well, that means I'm sleeping until nine. And I know that that's not what I want the next day. I usually work better when I get up earlier. Um, so it kind of you compromise the next day by not uh, doing the right thing the night before. The, the thing that finally got me to change it was getting a dog because getting a, the dog doesn't care that you do, you went to bed late. They want to go for a walk at 7 a.m. And so you need to get up either way. And it's interesting how often that's the case for people when something permanent in the environment changes, you get a dog, you move to a new city, you take a new job, you get married, you get pregnant. These are big lifestyle changes that often you'll see habits shifting in a big way. But, you know, that's just one example. Uh, there are many, many things that I've struggled with over the years. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really berate myself too much for the bad habits if I'm doing a good job of getting the big good habits in place. And that's I would say that's kind of where I fall on it is I try to crowd out the bad habits by building good ones. And I don't worry too much about the bad ones. Um, so I just want to focus on, am I getting my workout in? Am I reading a little bit each day? Am I writing a little bit each day? Do you use any like apps or like, how do you track your habits? Do you need to track them? Do you use apps? Do you use paper? Do you journal? Like give us some tips here. I only track the most important ones. It's interesting. I thought about this the other day. I, um, I've made good progress in the gym with, uh, with weightlifting and I've been tracking my workouts for, you know, a decade. I have all the notebooks on the shelf over there. And I always struggled with nutrition in comparison to, to the gym. And it's only recently that I started tracking what I was eating and boom, like magic, suddenly I get better at it. And it's interesting to me that that was all I really needed to do. And so I don't think you need to track everything. I don't track most of my habits. I don't track, for example, uh, how many books I read a year. But I do think that for the most important things, it's really helpful to have some form of measurement. Otherwise, you're just kind of guessing on whether you're making progress or not. And uh, I prefer not to guess about the things that really matter. Absolutely. And as the OKR Grandmaster John Durr would say, measure what matters, obviously. So pick, pick them and choose wisely. James, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from 1 to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week. Mm-hmm.